it's not always priced. They want to know that if we're submitting an offer, we can close it. Agent Power Huddle is a daily jumpstart, giving you all the tools you need to create an amazing real estate career. Led by top experts in the field, you'll learn how to sell more houses in less time while creating the life you want. Welcome to the Agent Power Huddle. All right. Good Thursday morning. Welcome, everybody. I see some familiar faces out there. If I don't see you, turn your camera on so I can see you. Morning, um, Amy. I see you, Paul. <laughs> uh, I saw Audra Merrill out there. I see lots of fun uh, folks that I know really, really well. Jeff. So thanks, everybody. Okay. A um, couple of quick things. I'm seeing. Isn't that awesome? So I'm also on a balance board. I'll tell you about that later. Um, this morning, I want to remind everybody a couple of quick things. Um, we're now a podcast. So whenever you listen into Agent Power Huddle, know that you can get us on podcasts too, just your favorite podcast provider. And we could use some love and some reviews. So when you have a chance, uh, go check out the podcast and then leave us a review. Uh, same thing on YouTube. Zach is going to drop the links for podcasts and also for our YouTube page. All of these are going on YouTube as well. So the goal is to make all the content that comes out every single day for all of you, super, super accessible. So you can get it wherever you are, mobile offices or anywhere that you are on earth. So we want you to be able to grab that. Um, so I want to jump right in and quickly, we have an awesome panel. I'm so excited about this week because we're such an awesome panel of agents that are just killing it all over the country. And so quick, I, want, I would like to just start off um, and recognize our panelists and have everybody just give panelists, I'm going to ask you just to give just a quick, who are you, what market are you in, and how competitive is it right now? And then let's jump right in, because today we want to tell you our secrets, okay, all of them, our secrets for winning in this really, really tough market, because it is possible, and we can win, and you can win, and so we want to share with you what we're doing, and we want to hear what you're doing too, um, and what your questions are also. So I'm going to do, a, or I'm going to really work hard to watch the chat um, and try to make sure we get everybody's questions answered in here too. Um, okay, so let me start with the fabulous Lonnie Fisher. Lonnie, um, just remind us and um, how competitive, what's your average price point there too? And like, how competitive is it right now? Uh, so I'm in the Tacoma, Seattle area right now. So in Pierce County, I would say like our average price point is probably going to be like 350 to 450. Um, Seattle is going to be a, a, a couple hundred thousand higher. Uh, we have about maybe a two week, maybe three week supply if we're lucky. So it's beyond competitive out this way. So, yeah. Awesome. And then Sarah Cruz in the Houston area, right, Sarah? I'm in the Houston. Our uh, mid price range is about 250 out in the suburbs. And um, the other day we wrote an offer for $44,000 over list price on a $450,000 home and we lost. 
uh, one of my agents. And the only thing is the buyers didn't want to tighten up the repair contingency, but we're going to go all over that. But that's Mm -hmm. about how competitive our market is right now. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, Then I have Jessica Morrison. Jessica, tell us your story. (laughs) How competitive is it? What's your average price point? Sure. Uh, so I'm from Indianapolis as well. Um, Amy's obviously from Indiana and um, we are seeing an average price point of 229 and we have 0.7 months worth of inventory available. So it's, it's fierce. I've never seen anything like that for our area. And um, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's fierce. I don't think to the extent of paying 40,000 over list price. I do think that we still have a, a fair number of listings that are kind of hanging around, but the good ones, as you all know, as soon as they come up, it's um, it's a bidding war. So I'm happy to elaborate when we get further into the conversation. And the fabulous Natasha Hayes. Hey everyone, I'm in the Salem, Oregon market, um, branching out just a little bit in the Willamette Valley in general, and a lot like Lonnie's, honestly, it's a it's that 350 to 450 range, um, which feels like it was 100,000 less last year, um, which is which is also painful. I know, Lonnie, you talked about that of you know those people that were waiting and, and getting themselves ready for this year, mm-hmm. uh, just the punch in the gut to a lot of the buyers there, and definitely multiple offers on um, things worth not buying. So <laughs> right. um, it's not <clears throat> excuse me, it's not just on the great houses; it's on on everything. And we do, um, we do the, you know, the list and the buy side. And so we, we understand both sides and, and, and sympathize with both. And, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very competitive and we, we, you know, have reaches into way, way over offering on things and, and, you know, still people not getting it. And so it's you know, really about being creative. So. Uh, awesome. All right. And then I'm Amy Izzo. I cover two markets. I cover the Northwest Indiana market. I'm right on the border. So I also cover some of the Chicago land market. And it's crazy here too. So average price point, I would say, depending on which market is somewhere in the mid 250s. Um, although we have homes that go well over that and under. And inventory is super, super low um, in both of those markets, less than a couple of weeks or less than a week of inventory in some areas and the whole, the good ones are gone. They're going fast. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on a few lately where I'm one of 20 offers. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my recent listings had 36 offers and like literally 34 hours. So they're going, going fast. So let's jump right in. Um, and if you guys have specific questions, I want you to drop them into the chat, but I want to start with, I just want to jump right in and kind of rapid fire through um, each of the panelists and tell us what's, you know, what's one, what, what's kind of one key since I think we can all agree we're in bidding wars, right? So on all of these homes right now, we're multiple offers, we're in bidding wars. So what's the, what's kind of one key thing? Um, and I know it's more than one, but what's one key thing or the most important thing that we could be doing to win some of these offers? And I'm just going to go where I see. So I see Lonnie in my upper left. So I'm going to go with you, Lonnie, first, and we'll run through. So um, what we're doing, I mean, like most of you guys are saying, these houses are going forty, fifty thousand dollars above list price, and we're, you know, like most people, we're still losing out on some things. We're trying to tighten up our contingencies as much as possible. You know, releasing earnest money, um, tightening up our contingencies as far as um, inspection, 
whether it's appraisal, whether it's inspection, whether it's septic and trying to waive those type of things. But I think most and foremost for us is we know how competitive the market is. So my team and I, we're really looking for a lot of off-market properties if we can to try not to have to compete. And that way it's a win-win. We can get our clients into some properties where they're not having having to bid 30, 40, 50,000 um, competing against, you know, anywhere from 20 to 35 offers, something like that. And uh, it's just, it's insane. So those are some of the things, but really, really tightening up those contingencies as much as possible, setting those expectations with our clients right up front from the buyer consultation, going over the current market, what's sold in the current area in the last 30 days based off of their criteria. And then setting that expectation, if this is what they're selling for, this is what you approved for. We need to go this much below in order to compete. How about you, Jessica? So I have ideas and then I have what my experience has been. So since my experience has not been something of the $40,000 nature, I'm happy to share those ideas. But I also want to speak into what has actually crossed my plate. Um, I am 100% with Lonnie. Finding inventory that is not on the market is really, really nice. And I think it helps create um, some breathing space for not only the buyers, but also the sellers. Secondly, new construction. New construction has been my jam. Um, that's all I have under contract right now. And it's not because we're not looking at pre-existing. It's just the buyers that I'm working with want that security. So as far as um, speaking into something that is more competitive, um, I am still a fan of offering tacos at closing. I think that that's, <laughs> I think food is a hidden uh, thing people don't um, use more of. All right, Sarah, give us some of your keys. Um, I have, I actually have a lot of uh, stuff that I can definitely go over, but if you're looking at the number one thing, um, first let's start at the basics. We, you want to be filling out the contract, dot your I's, cross your T's, fill out the licensing on the last page, all the numbers show that you're serious and you don't just rush through everything. So probably at, after that, I would present the offer. Um, not a lot of agents do an executive summary to present. And I think it's super important to kind of tell people who your buyer is. Um, and don't, you don't have to tell them the race, but you can say, you know, active family or single guy looking to grow his family or a single guy looking to never get married and just show some emotion, like have some emotion in there. Um, maybe print out the offer, take it to the listing agent in a nice presentation folder. But I would say, um, you know, try to eliminate the contingent. Eliminate that. If you can take in Texas, we have option period. If you can eliminate it or even tighten it up with, you know, the option instead of like a seven to 10 day option, um, financing contingency. If you can waive that, yes, maybe your buyers do need to get financing, but you can at least waive the right to back out if they, if they end up not getting it. If your buyer's not comfortable with that, um, shorten it instead of asking for 24 days, uh, go to a 14 day. Um, and then waiving appraisal, waiving, maybe they're getting financing and they have to do an appraisal. You can still waive your right to back out, even if it comes in low. 
So, um, yes, cash is king. Um, but if you can come over list price and, um, even if the appraisal comes in low, that's where we're at right now in my market. You absolutely have to be willing to take cash to the table if the appraisal comes in low. But I know um, we've been pretty lucky with appraisals. Like they're coming in almost where we need them to be. But the seller, you have to remove all the risk from the seller, unfortunately. And that puts a lot of risk on the buyers. And when you're offering against 20 other offers, that's just what you have to do. So um, I encourage everybody to educate your buyers, let them make that decision, um, tell them where the market's at, what comps are coming in at, and then say, you have to come in over and what would you like to do? And then, you know, if they only want to come in five over, you can still educate them, but then it's not your fault if they lose that offer. Um, I have a ton of other tricks, but I'm going to let you go to the next person. Okay. Um, let's get Natasha in here and then we'll we'll jump into even to everybody else more tricks. So Natasha, what do you got? Number one thing that you think or most one number one or two thing you think is really important right now. Yeah, I'm gonna piggyback just a little bit on what Sarah said. Um, just knowing that a lot of times, you know, we're we're competing on money and money is not just the price point, it's also on, you know, waiving some of those appraisals and, and things like that. We've definitely done that. Um, I'll say for a lot of clients, again, similarly, it's helpful to where they don't necessarily waive it, but they know their budget. So we're going to waive up to X number of dollars worth of it or cover X number of dollars of an appraisal gap so that the buyer knows exactly what they're getting into. If it doesn't appraise, they're coming in with that extra five, $10,000, whatever it is. Um, in our market, we've, we've, with our clients, we've kept it pretty much to that $5,000 uh, gap is what most of our clients have limited at feeling comfortable with. But we also just as a, as a, a change to that, um, we got plenty of clients that don't have that. That's not an option for them. They just don't have it or they'd never feel comfortable with it. And um, one thing that we do, and I'm sure everybody definitely you know, goes out of the way to call the listing agent, talk to them about buyer needs, um, build that rapport. At the end of the day, that agent is absolutely having a positive or negative attitude when they are presenting your offer. Um, I always ask, we use escalation clauses in our market, but it is not okay with every agent. It doesn't matter that it's legally okay. It matters if the person on the other end is going to present that favorably or with attitude. And so I always have that conversation up front. So I know um, what's available there. And if you guys don't have, or haven't used escalation clauses, I can talk about that. But, um, but the, um, on the appraisal aspect, we make it clear to, to the listing agent, we fight for our appraisals. We, we show up prepared. We've got our comps. We've got, um, we have wonderful relationships with our appraisers in our market. I save every one of them that I meet into my phone. I make personal relationships so that, that, that is, you know, they're on our, our side as much as possible. We're collaborative, um, and, and come prepared and let uh, not very many agents in our market do that. So making sure to let the other side know, um, that agent is often worried, even though again, our appraisals are coming in, um, the, the other agents are often still nervous, then they, they translate that attitude onto their buyer or their seller. And being able to say, even if I can't compete and say, hey, I'm waiving the appraisal, our goal is to get this to appraise. I will happily meet your appraiser out there. I will come with, a, you know, really well, we've gone through classes with appraisers on how to defend uh, values. Um, so we bring not just comps, but we also call around to any of the comps that are not great and find out, you know, why, oh, that house smells like cat. Okay. 
cross out, here's why I didn't use that comp because that appraiser is not going to do that work. They're not going to do it. If there's something that's dragging your values down, you have to let the appraiser know not just what comps you use, but why you didn't use the ones that, not just that appraiser, but the underwriter is going to come back and say, why didn't you use this comp? And so we're preemptively doing that work and saying that kind of stuff also to the listing agents lets them know, wow, um, I'm not going to be alone in this transaction. Somebody on the other side is actually going to show up and do the work. How many of you do the work of both sides of most of the transactions you're on, right? So when you get an agent that's like that, Let's be real. It's not just about how do we compete heavy on, on how great our offer is. Our offer might be amazing and five other offers might be identical to our offer. So now we have to stand out. And if we built that rapport and showed to the other agent, I'm showing up, I'm going to do my job. And even more than what people think my job is, they feel like I really want to work with this person. I've had offers um, taken based on that, uh, that were crazy in this market, um, lower that our people absolutely were maxed out. And, um, the other agent on the other side just said very bluntly, I just, I laid it out for my clients. I let them know you're going to get $10,000 less on this offer than the other offer. Um, but I really feel like these people are going to, you know, not be a problem. And, and the agent on the other side is really working with us. And I just don't know otherwise. Yeah, I, and I'll, I'll piggyback on that too because um, that that was one of mine. So I think it starts with the re- building the relationship with the listing agent, and that can be a little tough because our as a listing agent, we're really overwhelmed when we have a lot of offers coming in in a short period of time. And depending on how that person manages the showings and all those other pieces, um, you know, they may not be as available to take my call, right? Um, they may not. So I have been, I always call, but if I don't get them, I don't just send them a text. I send them a quick video. Um, and just, you know, whether, even if I think they don't know me, I send them a quick video. Hey, this is Amy. Here's what I wanted to connect on. Here's what I'm thinking. Um, and then a couple of things I'm asking them every time is besides price, right? I think we can all agree that price is going to be important, right? But besides price, what are the most important things to the seller right now? What does the seller need? My buyer wants to know what the seller needs. Um, and I do get, even if I don't get a call back, I will get a text back or some kind of communication back, giving me some more information. So in most cases, now there's always an odd one, right? But in most cases. Let me, let me, pay, let me piggyback off of that too. Cause you know, relate relationships are super, super huge. Like you said, listen, agents are being super, uh, overstimulated with the amount of offers. So, um, one of the things that are going to be super, super key is the relationship that you have with the lender, right? Because sometimes that lender is going to be key because they might not always take our phone calls or answer our text messages or our videos, because I do the same thing. I'm sending hey, what does your seller need? Uh, What's really important? Do they need time after closing to have possession? Things like that. But I'll tell you, and I'll be very, very, very blunt. We got an offer accepted because of the relationship with my lender. Um, We came in on this offer, like 35,000 above list price. They had offers another 25,000 above us, a cash offer, and they didn't accept those ones. Even though the seller knew that they could have got more because of the relationship with me and my lender and the relationship with that other listing agent. So who you're working with truly, truly does matter. If you're just working with blow small out there, trying to get offers accepted, you really need to do your homework, really make sure that they're out there 
putting their face out there, making those connections with those listing agents, following up, sending an email, making those phone calls, and putting their best foot forward as well because we need every arsenal in our capacity to be able to make sure that we are competitive and not one, it would not, it's not always price. They want to know that if we're submitting an offer, we can close it, right? I have another offer. We got it accepted at list price, which is amazing. <laughs> amazing, right? And um, the thing that's really standing out to the listing agent, which I'm pretty sure if I ever submit another offer to him, is that he will accept it without any doubts, is we put in for a 30-day close. By the time we were done with inspection, our appraisal was done, our underwriting was done, everything was done, and we're actually going to close probably two weeks early. Those That's are awesome. key. Those That's components awesome. are super, super important. Now your timeline. Okay, I collected some questions ahead of time. So let me just throw some of them out there and we'll just kind of all jump in. Um, uh, bid fast or bid at the deadline? Like eBay, right? Where you wait to the end of the auction and you bid. Is there, what do you think? That's a hard one because I know in our, in our market, they'll say we're reviewing date, reviewing dates this day. Right. And, but they're so overwhelmed, 86 showings in like three days that they're like, nope, we got to cut this short and they're accepting offers way earlier. So it's kind of a hit and miss talk, you know, sending something. Are you sticking to the review date? Are you reviewing early? When are you reviewing? If this is the case, how many it's, it's, you kind of really communicate with the listing agent and really try to get them to respond so that way you know how to go about it appropriately. I know when I'm a listing agent and I'm setting clear expectations, I'm putting it, deadlines on the MLS, I'm sending deadlines through showing time, and it doesn't matter when they submit their offer, I am putting them in my spreadsheet that I go over with my sellers. So it doesn't matter when you send them in, I just get them all in there and we go over. And it it doesn't matter to us, you know, when they submit, even if they're lost. All right, what about, um, I'll start with Jessica and I'll go around. What about earnest money? Does more earnest money make a difference? And how much of a difference does it really make? I think, it, I think first it does. But I think it also depends on the client. Like it's hard because the needs of the client are important. So if a client, like for example, if you're working with first time home buyers and they do need to put um, as much down as they can, then putting more down for earnest money isn't necessarily going to help them because sometimes those clients need closing cost credit assistance, which I know is a luxury, but you can, like some people I think forget that sellers sometimes will have a good heart and they want to do the right thing and they want to help people. So I think everybody's touched on it a little bit and it's not direct to earnest money, but I think again, just really understanding who you're working with on the other side and helping the listing agent and the seller to appreciate um, the situation that that client is in. So yes, generally speaking, more earnest money is going to uh, develop a brand that this is a strong buyer. But I think it's important that we keep that in context of uh, the, the bigger situation and their needs, because I've had some situations where, you know, kosher is 1% of the asking price in our market. But um, if you're working with a first time home buyer, that might be instead of $1,000, $500. And I've been able to get less earnest money accepted just because other items were more important. And it just, I think, 
some people play too much importance on earnest money and don't focus on other items that are more important to the seller because the seller's concern is going to be at the end of the day, can you purchase my home? Are you qualified? And are the other items that like the inspection and appraisal, um, are those going to be easy things to get through? So I think as long as you develop um, a strong presentation and rapport, um, I don't think necessarily earnest money matters all that much, but people are welcome to disagree with me on that. I do think, again, it's specific to the price point. Um, I, If you take all emotion out of it, a cut and dry, yes, I think more, more earnest money does matter, especially if you're removing those contingencies. You want to show that your buyer is serious and they're willing to lose 10 grand, 20 grand. Um, that they obviously want the house, the more earnest money. If you are, if you're leaving those contingencies, then just do the normal 1% because I mean, you can back out and get it back, but that's my view on it. Yeah. Jeff Ryan's typed in. I think it depends on the agent. When I think we were talking about, um, do you submit now or do you do you wait? Um, so I want to make sure I call this out. Jeff said, you know, he thinks it depends on the agent. If it's a newer agent, he submits the offer ASAP, but someone more experienced, he may send it at the last minute. So why is that, Jeff? Uh, this is going to sound really mean. Uh, the exciting puppy syndrome. The newer agents are so excited to get their first deal under contract. They'll accept an offer in an hour. Like they'll get a full price off and they'll be like, this is the best thing ever. Please hurry up and sign it because they have, they don't have a full enough pipeline. So then they're, they're doing things that benefit them, not benefit the seller. So if I know it's an experienced listing agent that has 20 listings and she's going to you know operate the same way, I'm going to submit my best offer at the last possible second because I know she's going to you know manage her client's expectations and stick to what she told me. But if I have a newer agent, I, I basically just have to give them the farm right away and hope they get excited over my offer, accept it, and then tell everyone else, sorry, we already accepted this offer. So quick question for Jeff then, um, because I 100% agree with that line of thinking. The problem is the listing agent is not legally obligated to keep that deadline that's been communicated. Like the seller can choose to accept an offer at any time. So what are your thoughts with that? Most experienced listing agents realize that their relationships with other agents are almost as important as their relationships with clients. So they're not going to do things like, oh, hey, we're reviewing offers at six and then they just snap accept something at noon. Uh, most of them, I guess, just realize that they have that time is a benefit to them usually. And sure, there's going to be situations where you miss out because the listing agent gets an offer that's 25000 over asking and it's you know 15000 higher than everything else, but they say, hey, we want to accept it you know, in two hours and you may miss out, but you're probably going to miss out anyway. I'll say that's 50-50 in our market, whether it's experienced agent or not. Some of the experienced agents are getting an offer so good as well. They're, it's, you know, they're taking them. And so it's, my market's really hit or miss on, on that component, to be quite honest. Absolutely. I got my buyers. You just need to bid. As soon as you're sure we need to bid, like, I don't want to play games and wait to the last minute and, Play the eBay game, although I thought it was a legitimate question when it came in, um, because I've had buyers ask, like, should we wait to the last minute? And I'm like, just if this is the house, let's just write our best offer, 
that, you know, is the best that you're willing to go in terms of terms and contingencies and is, you know, that protects you, right? Makes you comfortable and protects you and let's get it in as soon as possible. So that at least we know we're in the game, right? So we're in the game. Okay. Um, Let's talk about escalation because I did get questions ahead of time sent to me about escalation and I know we can't use them everywhere. So where we can use escalation clauses, uh, do we do we use them or do, do we just go in with our best offer? What's the value? Um, for me, if it says no escalation, then I try to respect that just because the listing agent asked not to do that, do it. However, if they are, if we do do them, I'll say I'll do a comparable market analysis, see what I think would be the top or where it would appraise. Um, and then I'll have that discussion with my clients and say, all right, this is the top of where I think it's going to appraise. Uh, what do you like to do? Do you want to go higher than that? Because I can guarantee it's going to go higher. Um, and how high do you want to go? And in what uh, increments do you want to do your escalation up to what point? Right. So, again, it's really setting that expectation with your clients. And then having that discussion and saying, you know, if you were to lose out on this offer by $500, are you okay with that? Because we have one shot to make this. They're not going to come back to us and say, oh, we like you. Uh, go ahead and, and try again, right? No, we don't have that. So where do you want to be at? This is where I feel comfortable with the appraisal. And this is what I think probably needs to happen. And unfortunately, uh, in our market, we have to go above that. Um, Natasha, did you want to add anything there? Yeah, just going to say when, when we do employ escalation clauses, we make it very clear. We're already in a competitive market. Mm -hmm. So if you're not starting high, if you're not already starting ridiculously high in your initial offer, you just put yourself on the bottom of the, of the pile because you insulted the seller. I want to get a good deal, but I'm willing to pay, you know, $30,000 over what I just put in as an offer. That's never going to fly. Um, I, I talk our, our buyers through like, hey, when I'm on the listing side, we have these stack of offers. What yes. you want is to stay on the table because we literally physically put them on the floor and leave them on the table. It makes it easier for the seller to work it, work it out. And if we have multiples, you know, like a lot, then we're looking at five on the table and then we're narrowing it down to three. And we always put two people in a first and second backup position just to not have to go through it all again for everybody. So we are always just about what keeps you on the table. And anything that's just going to be a red flag. Um, so we tell people, if you're going to do an escalation clause, you come in heavy first. And the rest is just to show like, hey, if other people are really just being that ridiculous, I'm willing to be there too. Um, most of those are all going to be about showing that price point way above appraised value saying, I'm still like, I'm here. If it'll appraise, I'll do it. If, if you've already waived a certain amount, you still have your limit, whatever. Um, and then we also tell people that increment amount, X number of dollars above don't give me a thousand dollars above the other guy. Cause I guarantee you that a thousand dollars above the other guy. Now it depends on your market, obviously your price point, but again, ours is like three fifty to four fifty normal here. A thousand dollars is still, the seller is going to look at the guy that came in at that price without having to do an escalation. And he's not going to go ahead and give up that one who came in that strong early over a thousand dollars, but you put a few thousand dollars behind it and it becomes harder for him to walk away from that. So those are some things in employing escalation clauses that we do come in strong first, make your increments large um, so that you're, you're showing I'm, I'm on the table with my first offer. I'm just staying with my escalation clause. So, yeah. So Craig talked about free seller rent back. Craig, you want to jump on and share your thoughts on that? He says free seller rent back is really huge. 
Yeah. So in, in these situations where we're paying 10, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 over ask, you know, what's in our market, a lot of sellers are contingent upon finding a replacement property and that's kind of the rub. And so what we're, what we're finding is obviously some financing limits you to 30 or 60 day rent backs, whatever you do thereafter, we won't talk about. Um, however, with that said, we're, we're talking about mortgage payment like 3000 bucks a month. If you gave a seller a five month free rent back, it's going to cost you 15 grand. Can you not go over $15,000 and make that offer work? And we're, and we're saying yes in most, in most markets. I love that, Craig, because I think a lot of times we get so focused on the numbers and I think numbers are important. Again, client specific, but being a buyer's agent, we are representing a buyer's best interest and I work primarily with buyers. So I love the creativity with that because I think that there are more important things that we just don't readily think about. And that's something I've said for a while. I haven't had a client yet have to make an offer in that direction, but I love that somebody else is thinking about that because you can't put a price on not having to move twice and just the convenience that that brings. And, and along those same lines. So like, why does like Zillow offers exist? It's convenience. What did we just give them? We gave them a convenient offer. There's no stress with you having to move in 30 days. You've got five, whatever, whatever time when you get, you've got so much flexibility on time to move out and it's free. Like I'm used, I'm using the, sellers don't care if they're going to make an extra 10 grand. If they have the convenience factor, they'll take it. Yeah. I'm using the 30, you know, 30 day possession, if not a little bit longer. However, we do have to set expectations with our clients when they're doing that, that they are now landlords. And because of the, the, uh, the rental market and what's going on with the rental evictions and things, we do have to set those proper expectations. Um, it is a risk for our buyers when they are doing that. However, like Amy said earlier and, and most of the other panelists, really finding out what's important to that seller. If they do need that, you know, extra possession time, we do try to put it in there and educate our clients at the same time of the risk that they're taking. It's huge. I I I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think it's always good to consult an attorney on something like this so that we ourselves, when we're pitching these ideas, especially with like Lonnie, what you just mentioned with the rental situation, so that clients have their eyes wide open because all it takes is a seller losing their job after closing. And I mean, technically they've closed, so they have the cash, but does that limit them in terms of being able to purchase that next house? Like you could unintentionally create a dot. A snowball effect that could be very difficult for your clients in terms of taking possession. So I think that's a good question for a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Can you unmute? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Lonnie. I was going to say, I think, you know, we, we want to make sure our clients are winning in these, in these competitive markets and we can see that it's competitive all over the nation and also making sure that our clients have like, you know, everybody's saying, educating our clients is going to be key and really leaving that decision up to them at that point. As long as we're, we're dotting our I's and crossing our T's and we're given the different possible solutions that we could give to have their offer accepted. Um, I think is us making sure we're doing our due diligence because it, it, it could come back. You know what I mean? 
Jones made a comment on this, but I just had a seller accept an offer and they didn't accept the highest offer, but they accepted a very good, strong offer with a 90 day free rent back so that when they write an offer on their next house, they don't have to move and they can write non-contingent. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that, and so while that was not our highest offer and actually got calls from an agent who was the highest offer, who felt they would be the highest offer because it was such, it was so ridiculously over our price point um, that they called me and they called me out on it to say, you know, Hey, why didn't we win? We should have won. And I said, it's not always about just price. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's about the terms and what the seller needs. Mm -hmm. And in this case, um, the seller needed some other things that your offer didn't provide. And we never had any dialogue about that either. So, um, so sitting, you know, I'm sitting on the, in the buyer's agent shoes a lot, but sitting in the listing agent shoes as well, trying to get all of the needs of the seller taken care of price is really important in this market, but it is not the only thing. It is just not the only thing. And so that, that was, that was valuable. <laughs> awesome. What okay. Kind of well, I know we're, go ahead. Disclosure form are you using to protect yourself in case, let's say they, they do this rent back and then they get stuck with a, a tenant that's not paying and, and now they want to come after you as the agent. Mm, that's a good question. Anybody have anything on that? I haven't I been in that position yet, but I think it's always good. I'm going to go research that after this discussion, just because I'm curious now. I mean, if you're representing a lease listing and a tenant, you're not in trouble when the landlord's tenants are basically become squatters. So that's when your client, you should never get involved in a legal battle. That is not our job. Um, you need to consult an attorney or not you, but your clients need to consult a t an attorney. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, you are not involved in that. You, and the real estate attorneys will tell you the mm -hmm. same thing. They need to do everything. So I think what we need to worry about is, on this call is multiple offers, winning the offers. And then what happens your clients know what they're getting into. And then whatever happens after that, they need to consult attorneys. But I know we probably have to close this up. I know one of the things that I also submit with my multiple offers is my buyers will pay a penalty for every day that we don't close. So if there's any hangups, my client, my buyers are paying a penalty for every single day. So that, um, you know, even if we aren't the highest price, we are definitely the less less risky. And so if our lender can't pull their stuff together, then um, my clients are paying for it. So I think that just makes ours stronger. Um, another thing is submitting, uh, and don't do this if your buyers, you know, maybe in the 600s, but if your clients have really good credit, submit their credit report with the offer. You know, you, you can have a pre-approval from a lender, but sometimes that doesn't mean anything. So submit that and it will, it'll, tell the seller uh, how serious your clients are. Another thing your buyer can do is pay the buyer's agent commission and take that off the plate of the seller. The sellers love that. Um, I think that's it. I think th those were all the things that I usually do when I'm submitting my multiple offers. You got us on the track. I was just going to say, let's go around because we, we are running a little over and I do want to close mm -hmm. it up. Um, respect everybody's time. So let's run around and I'd like to just get, you know, as we close out, um, what are some of the final things that we haven't maybe covered or that we just want to reinforce that we need to make sure that we're doing um, to write these really, really strong offers? So 
Lani, you want to go? Yeah, sure. I, I would say, like Sarah's saying, um, pay for whatever you can from the seller that decreases uh, or increases their net. So if they have a septic, pay for it. Uh, if you can pay for the commission, pay for it. Uh, whatever you can pay for to make it a little bit stronger is going to always be most beneficial. Yeah, and just uh, wrapping up the things that we know, uh, keeping the time frame short, keeping everything shorter. People want to know if this is going to not happen. They want to know it now. Um, you know, if we're still protecting our clients and not able to waive some of those things, keep them as short as possible. Have great relationships with your inspectors so that you have some appointments pre-booked. Uh, and then find buyers to fill those slots so that you are able to write just a few days of an inspection period and not getting into those double digits. It makes a big difference. It's ridiculous when you get into multiple offers. Um, at the end of the day, again, too many of them look the same. And we're at the end with our sellers trying to differentiate between five different offers that are almost identical. And one day, one business day difference of an inspection period has been absolutely something that there was nothing different between the offers. So that one got bumped because there's nothing else. So every little tiny thing actually does make a difference because they're too similar and the seller has to have some way to differentiate. So it doesn't matter if it seems like a small thing, one day's different, do it, do whatever you can to keep everything short, the little things. Um, and then just jumping on real quick with what Craig was doing with the, with the no cost rent back, even on the no risk um, in our, our market. I think it's the same everywhere, but uh, 29 days is available. We're not, we're not landlords at 29 days in our market. 30 days makes us, makes us a landlord. Uh, that's why hotels kick you out after 29 days and make you rebook um, because then they're not landlords. Uh, so that is at least available. If you're worried about that, that risk of them getting into the landlord laws, uh, check into those with your attorneys for your area. But a lot of times that, that kicks in after a certain number of days. So if that's too scary, what is still available? Let's still work with that. Jessica, final thoughts from you? I just want to say first, I love what everybody said. I've learned so much from each of you. Um, I think in echoing, you know, how can you still take it a step further to be different? Um, delivering a basket to the listing agent, like find out if they like wine or um, just like try to help make people's lives better. Um, again, unconventional, probably not necessary, but in the moment, like if they're up reviewing 20 offers, like send them some wine, send them a gift card, send them some flowers, you know, just make their day brighter. They're all stressed out. Do the same thing for the sellers. And um, I think, again, like we've all touched on it, but just really try to build rapport, um, not only with the listing agent, if you can find out, um, I'm stealing this from another agent, but find out what the listing agent's preferred lender is and have your client get pre-approved with them is another option. Also making sure that you include a cover letter so the, all of those terms are right on the front. Um, but again, like being a buyer's agent, just make sure that you're first and foremost protecting your client and setting those expectations early so that when we get into these situations, there's not, you've mitigated the emotions. Well, thanks everybody for coming on today. I hope that you, we got, I hope that we gave you some nuggets. I really appreciate Lonnie and Sarah and Natasha's and Jessica's time. Uh, to help and everybody that chimed in, Jeff and Craig, and everybody that commented and chimed in, thank you so much. Uh, and I hope you got some nuggets that are really, really helpful. If you have follow-up questions, go drop. I, I check the, the Agent Power Hunter all the time. Go drop them on the on the on the on the page there, and we'll all answer. 
right? Well, I'll answer and give our thoughts, but this is how we get better is to share what's working and what we're doing. And it doesn't matter what market you're in. I can learn something from the Seattle market. I can learn something from the Houston market and then figure out how to implement it here, right? Got to know what, what works in our market, what the laws are, but I can figure out how to implement pieces of that here um, to really make it work for us. Um, my final thought is really just seller. We got to make it as easy as we can and convenient as we can and low cost as we can for the sellers right now. That's the market we're in. I'm being honest with those buyers from the first consult that that is the market you're shopping in. And here are the advantages, blah, 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 of you shopping in this market for you. But here's the piece you we're faced with. Right. And so this is what we've got to do when it's time when you find the one. And we got to make it as easy as we can. Um, and present ourselves as strong as we can, like so many of you said, to the listing agent with no attitude, with no ego, with just being, hey, we can close it. We're the, you know, we've got the best buyer, the best situation, we can close it. And I always make sure, provided my buyers are on board and they usually are, I always make sure the listing agent knows, look, if we're that close, we are flexible, you know, let me know. Simple phone call to me, I can change up some paperwork. You don't even have to counter me. So, you know, and I, and again, they keep, you know, right. So I just want to make it easy. So, and that, that's where we are. That's the market that we're in. So good luck, good, good luck, get out there, put some of these strategies in place and tell us about your wins. I know you are all having wins. So drop it in the group, tell us about your wins, tell us about your challenges and let's go win together. Have a great day. Thank you. If you'd like more information or to get connected to the Agent Power Huddle, join our free Facebook group. This call was designed for the agents in our EXP organization, but open to any agent from any brokerage. If you're a guest and you're interested in learning more about EXP or our specific resources within the Agent Collective, reach out to the person who invited you to this call to get more info. Produced by the Agent Collective Media Network.